0: Welcome to The Checkout, Tommy Carden, organizer with Warehouse Workers for Justice. Thanks so much for making time for us. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So why don't we start from the top? Give us a little overview of Warehouse Workers for Justice, uh, where you're located and what your areas of focus are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, Warehouse Workers for Justice, um, we work out of Illinois, so we work out of the Chicagoland area. Uh, both Chicago and uh, Joliet, Illinois in Will County, which is about 35 miles uh, southwest of Chicago. And Warehouse Workers for Justice is a 501c3 uh, worker center. Um, and we support workers uh, working in the warehousing distribution and logistics industries, um, fighting for you know good, stable living wage jobs. Um, and yeah, support workers who, who want to come together and um, transform their workplaces and uh, the industry.
0: How do uh, worker centers differ from uh, trade unions? As we've interviewed quite a number of worker centers on this show, as well as uh, union members, u- union organizers. But can you clarify that? Because they seem to be popping up all over the place, worker centers, that is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess like right off the bat, like, where worker centers are Pretty much always nonprofits. So, you know, they're not unions. And, you know, legally, um, we can't, you know, pass out union cards and and actually um, organize workers um, into unions um, the way that unions do. But worker centers started emerging, um, you know, I think a big explosion of worker centers in the the 90s, early 2000s, mid 2000s um, to sort of, you know, try to organize and reach workers who I think a lot of unions had historically you know, not organized or hadn't been focused on organizing. So, you know, lots of black and Brown workers, temporary workers, immigrant workers. Um, and I think worker centers arose to sort of do some of that intermediate work, some of the, the early organizing, some of the educational work um, to, to reach those who unions, you know, maybe weren't uh, focusing on um, or, you know, workers who, whose jobs were sort of results, you know, of globalization um, and, uh, you know, increasingly, you um, um, yeah,
0: uh, globalized economy. So, sure. I worked in warehouses twenty years ago, mm-hmm. on and off. Um, wasn't something I did full time, but it was it was tough back then. What's it like yeah. now to work in a warehouse, particularly uh, during COVID nineteen? Yeah, so I've I've I haven't worked in a warehouse, so I don't want to
1: speak. You know, that's it's not my experience. But through experiences of of workers um, who are in WWD, WWJ's base. Um, these warehouses operated at full throttle and even, you know, more intensely uh, during the pandemic because, you know, they had to make sure that, um, you know, all the, the, goods that everyone was enjoying, for many working from home, you know, were still reaching them, um, and you know, a lot of warehouses actually, you know, were hiring more people right during the pandemic, so working conditions in a lot of warehouses in Will County and in Chicago uh, were pretty dire. Um, warehousing and manufacturing was the second hardest hit industry in Illinois by COVID. Um, So workers, you know, got sick at work, you know, at alarming rates um, and many workers died, um, you know, as a result of of getting COVID. Um, So, um, you know, COVID really, it it kind of shed a light, right? And exacerbated problems that warehouse workers have long faced, um, but, um, you know, certainly made those problems worse. Um, and I think for some, right, brought a, a kind of a new attention to, to that, um, the exploitation that a lot of warehouse workers face.
0: Who are these warehouse workers? Like, where do they live? You know, what are their lives like, you know, tell us a bit about the constituents, uh, that you're organizing, um, as well as maybe some of your own motivations for doing this, this kind of work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think starting, you know, who are the workers, right? So, um, there, there's like around 400 warehouses, um, in the kind of the Chicagoland area. Um, well in Will County in particular, there's more in Chicago, but it's a huge range, right? Um, I would say that a lot of the workers who are in WWJ's base, um, have been working in warehouses for a long time. Um, they're workers who, um, don't necessarily want to be working in warehouses but these are the jobs that are available to them um, so it's a lot of uh, black and brown workers um, and a good amount of white workers as well who um, you know might have criminal backgrounds uh, that don't allow them to get other jobs that aren't with temporary staffing agencies right working in, in warehouses um, so it's a combination it's people you know out of college who's the first job um, there's people who have worked many, many jobs and are in their sixties, you know, maybe shouldn't be working anymore. Um, but, um, you know, are in the warehouses, um, trying to scrape together, um, you know, money for themselves, um, and their families, um, warehousing has a lot of temps. So there's a lot of temp workers who work and, and keep the warehouses, um, in the Chicagoland area running. Um, and, um, you know, kind of alarmingly for some, right. And it's, it's not known to a lot of people, but there are many, many workers who live on the South side of Chicago, uh, many black workers in particular who make the, the hour trek to Joliet, to Will County every day uh, in vans with other temps, right. To sort of man these warehouses um, and return every day, you know, it's upwards of a two hour round trip. Um, but these are, um, these are the, some of the, the workers who, who are working in these warehouses and, you know, increasingly so, right. A lot of, um, the warehouses, especially big food warehouses, um, you know, they might be ultimately, um, you know, run or, or, um, ultimately the revenue goes to, you know, Tyson goes to Mars Wrigley goes to Kellogg's, but they'll be managed by a third party logistics company, which will then right. um, outsource the staffing subcontract the staffing to temporary staffing agencies so and this is kind of what what the industry is dealing with what the workers who are in wwj
0: space are are dealing with every day tell us a bit more about 3pl as i'm I'm in the food industry and i hear about what you call third-party logistics 3pl you know what are they doing in in the food system particularly as a sort of go-between middle person uh between manufacturers distributors, retailers, where does 3PL come in?
1: Yeah, so 3PLs, third-party logistics companies, um, they're really running operations, right? On a lot of these, these corporations, warehouses, um, you know, nationally, but, um, you know, just speaking locally, um, 3PLs um, are the, the names you see, right? So you see the trucks, right? You see XPO, you see DHL, right? You ask workers sometimes where they work and they'll say, you know, XPO. Um, So it's sort of just sort of visually, first of all, they kind of shield um, the companies whose products are actually being moved, packaged, sorted, you know, in that warehouse, made in that manufacturing facility. They're sort of shielding that company, right, from just visibility in a visual sense. Um, A lot of the third-party logistics companies, um, they're also shielding, right, uh, major corporations from legal liability, um, for what happens to workers there. Um, some states are better about that than others um, in different legal landscapes. Um, but, you know, um, in Illinois, right, a lot of corporations um, use third-party logistics companies to sort of, you know, pitch themselves as sort of specialists, right, in running warehouses and doing all the logistical operations and being as efficient as possible. Um, and they also then, you know, are in charge of finding the workers to run the warehouse in many of them outsource that to, to temporary staffing agencies as well. Um, so they're kind of everywhere, right? And third-party logistics companies uh, are the ones that are doing most of the moving, that are you know controlling the lives of all the workers really who work there. Um, and I think oftentimes companies like to point, when things go wrong in warehouses, companies like to point at those three PLs and say, well, that's their fault. You know, we don't know, we, we're not in control.
0: Um, but they are <laughs> which is bullshit right because it's they they bullshit. should have standards for their contractors right yeah so, and
1: it is also part of a, right like a broader like the fissured workplace right you see like like companies have have gotten to benefit from like one of the benefits of relying on this is that you know they kind of outsource compliance with labor standards to the third party logistics companies and the temporary staffing agencies and oftentimes those labor standards aren't followed right right
0: on how does a campaign um, for organizing one of these warehouses start? Like how, how do workers get involved?
1: Sure. Um, like through a worker center, like through warehouse workers for justice or just, yeah. So, uh, warehouse workers for justice, um, you know, we, we provide a lot of services to workers. So we sort of kind of take the approach that, um, these warehouses have not only, um, you know, actual workplace conditions in the warehouse, right. Not only oppress the workers, um, but the presence of the warehouses themselves in you know former company towns like Joliet, um, they really push all kind of community standards down. So there's a lot of poverty in places like Joliet, right? Um, there's um, a lot of effects of incarceration. So Warehouse Workers for Justice provides a lot of different services. So we we do legal services um, around you know sealing and expungement of criminal records. We provide free legal services um, for issues like wage theft or discrimination people are having at work. And during the pandemic, um, Warehouse Workers for Justice got a lot of public health funding to distribute um, PPE, to do vaccine education, um, to actually help people get signed up for the vaccine, Warehouse Workers and their families. So we we do a lot of different services and that's oftentimes how workers sort of come through the door at Warehouse Workers for Justice. and through those conversations, you know, we, we also provide you know, organizing training. We do a lot of legal rights, you know, know your rights in the workplace, education training. So um, I think the first, right, is sort of education um, and sort of learning from workers about what's going on. And then I think the next step, right, is sort of talking to uh, empowering that worker to be an organizer and talk to their other coworkers, Um, to to put together, you know, a committee or to put together an initial discussion and formulate a plan for, um, for achieving, you know, a common set of demands. Um, So it's pretty common sort of, I think in worker centers generally, but at WWJ um, to sort of, you know, move to a petition effort and a march on the boss, right. After workers are kind of have come together um, and, you know, articulated a a common set of demands. Um, But that's kind of how it gets started. I would say
0: most of the time. What are some of the campaigns that workers have started uh, that WWJ has been involved in giving them resources for? Um, so several years ago, um, workers who were working at
1: the Walmart warehouse in Elwood, um, Illinois, which is right next to Joliet, um, came to WWJ um, and you know reported that the, this big third-party logistics company um, Schneider Logistics, which was uh, running the Walmart warehouse, um, was leaving. Walmart decided not to renew their contract. Um, and a lot of workers who worked for that third-party logistics company had criminal backgrounds, and the 3PL knew that. Walmart, when they kicked out the 3PL, said, you know what? We're in charge of the warehouse now. Everybody's going to get a raise. Um, you know, We're going to more directly manage this place. But then they went and they laid off over 100 workers who had criminal backgrounds, who had been working there for years. Um, so they came to Warehouse Workers for Justice, and we supported the workers on getting together uh, a petition to management. Uh, they marched on the boss. Um, and um, there was a big sort of action and march that uh, brought together a lot of different community groups, a lot of different labor labor groups. The union, the United Electrical Workers, who founded Warehouse Workers for Justice, we're very engaged as well. And um, it, you know, it was the beginning of an ongoing campaign uh, to hold Walmart accountable for that blatant discrimination um, in their workplace. So that's, that's kind of
0: one example. What's the the vision for the organization considering how many warehouses are in the Chicagoland area. And I was just clicking on my map because I'm a New Yorker. I live in Texas. I don't know Chicagoland, but it's vast.
1: Yeah, it is. So, right, the the sort of, um, the vision is sort of one workplace at a time, right? (laughs) And we sort of, the reason we're focusing here at all uh, is because we know that this is such a crucial distribution hub for many, many global corporations. Um, And if worker power can actually be substantially leveraged in this region, there many national supply chains can be halted and, and it can be shut down so it's sort of the promise that you know this is a unique sort of convergence of railroads of interstates you know of sort of midwest connectivity for national and global supply chains um so you know th- that's a big guiding piece of the vision but the, the challenges are sort of um are great right um, the subcontracting, uh, the fissured workplaces uh, that pretty much all these warehouses are do make organizing very, very difficult. But WWJ you know, tries to you know, organize the individual, um, right? Who comes through our door, right? Um, and takes a holistic approach to sort of, you know, trying to, to, to empower workers and try to um, help workers come to solutions for you know, the many different overlapping um, abuses and, that they're experiencing in their lives. Um, but then also, you know, through that relationship, you know, try to organize specific workplaces as well, um, and grow a base of active, engaged worker leaders who, you know, want to participate in, you know, a continuing struggle to to not only transform the specific workplaces, but, um, you know, the the broader warehousing industry. Um, but um, it's it, the challenges are great, and I think organizations like WWJ and worker centers that are trying to sort of fill the gap, right. Between sort of unorganized labor, organized labor, and then all the temps and all the other workers who aren't currently being organized or or looked at by unions. I think in worker centers, couldn't be more crucial at this point.
0: um, You know, where we're at. What's the kind of leadership development that your organization uh, performs with, with these warehouse workers, you know, in order to get them to, you know, be more effective leaders, organizers, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So um, we have, there's a number of different programs that um, WWJ is running. So for example, my, um, I focus on food worker organizing um, and sort of my team um, has put together calling it a forward motion program. And it's sort of, you know, a kind of a, um, um, a set curriculum, like a four, um, a series of four uh, trainings Sort of around, you know, empowering workers, educating workers on how to identify, you know, common workplace violations, Um, you know, doing kind of basic organizing trainings with workers, um, training workers um, to sort of to show them examples of of different, you know, times that workers uh, within WWJ's universe, right, or in other places and other times um, did sort of um, mountain successful campaigns um, within their workplaces Um, So we have sort of set, you know, trainings like that, that we try to um, make sure um, workers who kind of come through WWJ or in WWJ's base are going through. Um, And we also have various committees at Warehouse Workers for Justice. So there's a there's a food worker committee. We have an environmental justice committee. You know, we've had a leadership committee uh, for workers that are more engaged in sort of WWJ across, you know, all of our programs, all of our work. Um, we've had a women's committee and sort of through these different kind of you know worker-led committees um, is where we try to anchor this sort of leadership development um, and um, you know bring together workers who have had um, different you know successes or challenges in trying to to, to fight their employer um, and organize um, but um, you know we're always trying to push right push kind of workers up the ladder of engagement um, so that they are growing as organizers and we're going to need a, a base of you know many many very active
0: engaged worker leaders to actually actually have a chance at changing this industry. So. What's the response been like from the families and communities of these worker leaders, and has there been outreach into um, the communities as well?
1: Yeah. Um, so first of all, a lot of our a lot of our staff, not myself, but um, a lot of our staff is from, you know, are are from the communities that, uh, where WWJ works. So we have a lot of staff now who's from Joliet. We have a lot of staff who have worked themselves in the warehouses, right? So for a lot of them, this is very personal and their family, you know, many family members and friends of theirs still work in the warehouses. Um, So WWJ, I think, has been and and is sort of embedded um, in the communities that we're working in. Um, You know, I think that, there is a lot of outreach to 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 community members all the time. I think, um, oftentimes people come to us right when things happen, um, and it's sort of um, WWJ is sort is known in the community right as as a as a um, organization that workers can come to um, when things go wrong at work, um, or when they need support, um, or when they have questions about if something is happening is is illegal. Um, or if there can be a, you know, solutions um, th- to the various problems they're having at work, um, so I think we're we're constantly doing this uh, doing this outreach uh, for our programs. And I think during the pandemic, when we kind of broke into some different areas, right, such as like you know COVID response work, some like eviction mitigation work, um, it also kind of allowed us to to broaden our reach a little bit in the community. Um, and when we did that, we realized very quickly that like. A lot of people we talked to, especially in Joliet, worked, have work, work,
0: have worked or will work, right, in warehouses. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just as a quick sidebar, when I worked in warehouses, I mean, this is when my, you know, before my daughter was born, um, there were like whole communities of folks that they just hire all their, their relatives. So there was, yeah. um, I, I was working in a warehouse in Cranberry, New Jersey. Uh, along i-95 and there's all these puerto rican folks uh from the area and then there were all these um uh i guess there must have been from northeast india because they were from gujarat like a Mm. whole family like Mm -hmm. over a dozen folks that all came you know and got got jobs there they were you know uh fresh over from india The last name was all patel so (laughs) it's like are you guys all related like yeah we're all cousins we we're all and it, it's just pretty amazing how like communities come over and get these jobs and and do this support work um, for each other. And I was also jealous because they would all cook food like lunch mm-hmm. for each other, and it was much better than what I was bringing. So, <laughs> yeah. you guys, want to share? <laughs> That's all good. What what motivates you? I mean, warehouse work is hard, and you're an organizer working with warehouse workers and um, organizing. Uh, you know, for folks that may not have done it. Yeah. uh is hard what motivates you to do this type of work um so i
1: i come i'm from chicago originally uh and i come from um sort of a a middle class neighborhood that has a lot of union workers a lot of city workers and i think growing up um i always took for granted that that was not the norm in america anymore um you know, I had, you know, there were different birthday parties or, you know, life events, you know, in union halls, right? And I just thought that was normal. Um, and I think like, it wasn't until I, you know, uh, got out of where I was from um, that I did look around and realize like, this isn't <laughs> the, the middle-class stability that, um, you know, my family and my neighbors were able to enjoy, you um, because of the historic presence of unions and you know all the proud union home signs, and um, I realized that like those unions also oftentimes um, didn't didn't organize right. Uh, a lot of the workers who make up <laughs> the, some of the the most you know sizable um, portions of the economy today, including warehousing and manufacturing. So I think kind of knowing what right. Um, the presence of unions and and in organized workers like the livelihoods they can have right this the the community sort of um you know, structures they can build just the sort of middle class life um knowing what that is because i come from that um i think kind of motivates me um to try to make sure that that way of life can be available to other people um and i think just um anger i mean i just get pissed off a lot <laughs> looking at um you know the way a lot of these companies are able to operate um and looking at the way a lot of these you know corporations have made so much fucking money during um the pandemic in particular and, and they're, they're they their supply chains are literally being run by people making 11 12 dollars an hour who are not college students right <laughs> not that college students should even get 11 or 12 dollars an hour but um you know that it's it's just It makes me really mad um and i think you know that anger um as well as kind of an understanding of um, what communities could look like if they had unions if they were able to organize um, i think both those things kind of keep me keep me motivated
0: but how can our listeners support the type of work that warehouse workers for justice is doing as well as allied organizations
1: yeah um, I would say that um I mean first of all, just like following our work right, so I would say like following like warehouse workers for justice on Facebook right on Twitter on Instagram, um just to kind of see some of the different work we're up to, and you know we do have um we do have worker campaigns you know going on right um and you know there are oftentimes call to action right there's this sort of petitions that we need members of the public to sign on to. Um, you know, there's, this escalatory actions we might have. Um, so, you know, that sort of support, I think is really, um, is really, really crucial. And for other worker centers too, like locally, like worker centers, like, you know, the Chicago Workers Collaborative, Arise Chicago, um, you know, we're, we're all kind of engaged in this work. So I think following it and sort of, um, you know, listening and, and pitching in um, to whatever the calls are when they come out is, is really, really crucial. Um beyond that, I mean I think that um, it's really, if nothing else, I think it's it's really important for people to to just sort of think more regularly if they don't about um, you know, what's the cost of two-day delivery <laughs> from from Amazon, for example um, and um I, I don't know I would um, I would really encourage people who are, you know interested in, um, in sort of supporting the labor movement now at this really pivotal time to sort of find ways they can get involved, you know, whether that's like volunteering on different campaigns, whether that's volunteering with like the Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee, that, you know, DSA and a project of the UE as well. Um, I would encourage people to do that because um, I think it couldn't be a more crucial time for, you know, for workers, so.
0: I would, I would actually second the volunteering with EWOC and Emergency Workers Organizing Committee. We actually had a couple of uh, folks in EWOC campaigns on the show, and it was, it was pretty amazing to see what they're doing. And they, yeah. they do utilize volunteers for, for calling folks and, and helping organize. So it's, it's a great program. They do. Yeah. No,
1: they, they really do. Um, and um, I think that is a really tangible way for people to get involved. Yeah. People to get involved now.
0: Yeah. Right on, Tommy Carden. This has been a fantastic conversation. Any closing thoughts for our audience? Um, any closing thoughts. Um,
1: I do think that um, I would just encourage people to um, to like I said, think think you know, don't forget the warehouse workers that that truly you know do make everything possible. I mean, I think that um, as a uh, somebody who's focused on food worker organizing, you know, I I want to make sure that. Um, food warehouse workers are included, sort of, in the litany of, of food workers that we kind of say, right? Farmers, mm-hmm. grocery store workers, um, meat manufacturing workers, um, food warehouse workers, right, are really crucial part of that link. Um, and I think, you know, there are food warehouse workers who are increasingly, um, you know, deciding that enough's enough um, and want to come together and organize. Um, and um, I hope that. Um, People just know, right, the cost, especially during the pandemic that a lot of these workers have endured to make sure <laughs> we all get the food uh, that we need. And, um, yeah, I definitely, you know, look forward to to whoever wants to support this work. Um, look forward to look forward to that support and look forward to hearing from you. So,
0: Thanks so much for making time for the checkout and uh, keep up the amazing work. Thank you. You, too. I appreciate it.